Hello, gardeners, and welcome to episode number two of The Charleston Gardener with your host, Louisa Pringle Cameron. How's it going? It's going great. We had a plant swap this week, so that's what I'm going to talk about. Let's dive in. All right. And we're also going to talk about propagating hydrangeas. And then we're going to do some um, chat about what you should be doing in the garden and the plant of the week. I'm looking forward to the plant of the week. Oh, good. (laughs) Good. Well, to my great relief, the much-needed rain held out until early this morning. Um, as my small garden club, where there are only about 30 of us, met in our garden yesterday for a plant swap and a bring-your-own-lunch to enjoy on the patio, the shaded patio. It's covered with moss. Oh, nice. Well, oh, it is. <laughs> the May heat is on its way, and the garden is in transition. So all of the glorious foxgloves have faded. That's the picture you see when you open the website and when you go to the podcast. They might put out side shoots now for a display at the back of the border, but will be pretty only if it does not soar into the 80s for days at a time. The larkspur, however, is in full bloom. It's one of my favorite plants and was a gift from a friend who got permission to dig seedlings from the garden of one of his patients. She told him that her larkspur had been reseeding themselves in the same place for over 100 years, so we now have a real heirloom. Larkspur is a relative of the delphinium, which does not like our heat, and although I have only seen larkspur bloom in purple, pink, and white, I bought a packet of coral from a nearby nursery to try. I germinated the seed indoors but transplanted the seedlings too early for survival, so I'll have to wait until fall to try again. Our larkspur likes to travel. The wind scatters it along the mulched paths and into adjacent flower beds. Sometimes it forms large colonies, and I get enough seed to share after it goes completely brown in early June. Uprooting the entire plant and shaking it into a paper grocery bag does the trick, and then the compost heat gets the discarded stalks. Another stunning bloomer that has completely faded is Brunfeltsia, which my grandmother just loved and called yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The fragrant one-inch flowers start out purple, then shortly turn lavender, and finally white. In Charleston, this soft green shrub can get over six feet tall and wide. Seedlings sprout all around the mother plant and grow quickly. In our garden, Brunfeltsia has adapted well to sun and shade and is easy to prune and keep in scale. In a western-facing bed, the larkspur is heavily interspersed with a mass of pink poppies. Just in time for the plant swap, they had already lost all of their pale petals and the lantern-like seed pods were opening as they dried. I had a cloth-lined basket to share and was given some red poppies in return. Now that brings up the swap. How did the swap go? Oh, the swap was a huge success. Members brought large pots of Gilliardia, bags of Crocosmia Fire King, walking iris divisions, tiny Satsuma orange seedlings, a pair of tropical Tybushinas, a camellia, chrysanthemums, narcissus bulbs, and buckets of Rex begonia starts, along with various other delights. I got a night-blooming Sirius, and one lovely friend brought me a carton of pastel-colored eggs from her family's chickens. 
they have a house on one of our sea islands near the city and enjoy a town and country life. Chickens are only allowed on the peninsula if you get permission from every neighbor within 150 feet. Oh, wow, within 150 feet? I didn't even, I didn't even know that was a rule. Do you know anybody who has chickens? I don't know of anyone who's keeping chickens, but everyone loves and protects the flock of guinea hens that has roamed the neighborhoods near the battery for decades. I recently stopped my car to let a mother hen and her chicks cross the street. As I was waiting, a pair of tourists approached my window and asked what they were. A cheerful painter working on an iron fence along the sidewalk chimed in that they tasted somewhat like turkey. I sincerely hope he didn't mean a bird from this particular flock. Then, during our short business meeting, a member asked if I could explain how to propagate hydrangeas. Of course, I told them that I would put it on the podcast and on my website, gocharlestongardener.com. May is the perfect time to root cuttings of all types of hydrangeas before the flowers begin to form and the new growth is still soft. I happen to have a huge hydrangea, macrophylla, Aisha, that some of our members have not been able to purchase locally. I have about five young plants that I propagated last year by just weighing down a branch with a brick or two and covering the part touching the ground with dirt, then cutting away the new plant once it had established healthy, strong roots. You just pull on it from time to time to see how it's doing. Some gardeners take a plastic paint bucket, add gravel to the bottom, cut a few slits in the side for drainage, and fill the rest of it with builders or play sand. They then add water and cuttings and put the bucket in the shade. Do you have a method that you use? Well, I have a reliable method that works best for me. I take as many four to six inch pots as wanted and either run them through the dishwasher or spray them with a diluted bleach solution. 10 or 20% bleach to water is fine. I then take the clean pots and fill them with new potting soil and put them on any kind of tray that can hold about half an inch of water. And then I soak the potting soil with fresh, preferably rainwater. We have a dedicated water line just for the garden that has no chlorine or other chemicals added. While the filled pots are taking up the water, I take the extra precaution of boiling a small pot of water on the stove letting it cool, and putting it into a container suitable for dipping the cuttings. Next, I use an unsharpened pencil to make holes in the center of the soil in each pot, going about, oh, two inches deep. I then gather my tray of pots, the small container of boiled water, and a pair of clippers that have been sprayed or wiped with rubbing alcohol, and head for a shady spot out in the garden. When taking cuttings, I choose soft new growth without a flower head and cut a piece with at least two sets of opposite leaves and about half an inch of stem below the bottom leaves. I then remove the lowest two leaves, leaving intact the tiny buds next to the main stem. You cut off approximately one-third of the top two leaves, sometimes four, and dip the base of the stem into the boiled water making sure that the pair of buds at the bottom also get wet. Finally, I dip the moistened stem into a rooting medium, careful to cover the buds with the powder, and gently place it into the hole in the pot. You should try not to knock off any of the rooting hormone powder when firming the soil around the cutting. I use a small watering can with a long, thin spout to water the new cuttings, and then place them in the shade for a couple of weeks, 
checking to make sure that they remain moist, not soaking wet. I always pot more than needed, as at least one cutting may be sacrificed when checking the rooting progress. Wow, that's, that's a ton of helpful information. Is there a place that somebody can find all this information in one spot? Sure, I'm going to put it on the website. Perfect. GoCharlestonGardener.com? GoCharlestonGardener.com. Rooting plants is fun to do with young children. A friend's granddaughter and I did this one morning, and she reported that all of her cuttings had taken. I will be doing it soon with our own three grandchildren, as hydrangeas are one of their mother's favorite flowers to cut and bring into the house. Oh, nice. Well, this brings us to my favorite subject of the podcast, the plant of the week. Well, the plant of the week is, of course, annual larkspur, an old-fashioned Charleston favorite. I prefer to let it reseed itself, but in the past have, ne- have needed to purchase a few seed packets to supplement a sparse year. The recommendation on the packet is to sow it in the fall, but I prefer to sow it when the plants naturally drop their seed. One year for our annual plant swap, I was able to print up labels and have enough coin envelopes of larkspur seeds for all of our members to have at least a good start. A caution comes with the larkspur. All parts are toxic, and the western or plains larkspur causes much death in cattle. As charming a blossom as it is, do not use it to decorate food or put it into salads. Weed, feed, to breed, and seed is the rhyme I use for the month of May. I am trying so hard to stay on top of the spurge and the clover, but I can walk from one end of this small garden to the other, and by the time I do it again, more weeds have sprouted. The clover is a real threat during dry weather because an indigenous population of spider mites will infest it first, then climb onto every other plant nearby using the clover as a staircase. I need to deadhead roses, nasturtiums, and larkspur daily. The tomatoes and vegetables are always hungry, and I am sowing a few more for a later crop, along with sowing more and more zinnias for summer bloom. Thank you again for listening, and I hope that you will tune in to next week's episode of The Charleston Gardener. Thanks, as always, goes to my producer, Daniel Patrick, whose own podcast is Mandolins and Beer. And finally, as Benjamin Disraeli once remarked, how fair is a garden amid the trials and passions of existence. (laughs) 